0: Welcome to my City Minutes and today our our guest is Eric Hassler from the Department of Reclamation and Environmental Services, once better known as the Superfund Division, but we uh, renamed that about three years ago when uh, when we organized um, the Department of Reclamation and so welcome Eric. Thanks for having me JP. Today we're going to talk about Superfund issues. Uh, there, there's a lot that that's going on in, in the community and there's a lot to Superfund and I kind of want to dissect some of those things and uh, bring it down to to the layman's level a little bit so that we can explain kind of what Superfund does. And so there's a lot of uh, conversations in the community and people wanting to understand what, what's going on. And so first off, Eric, can you kind of tell tell us a little bit about what Superfund Does what what is their what are they obligated to work on on a daily basis?
1: Superfund's goal is to take a contaminated site and render it safe for human occupancy and the health and safety of the environment. So in Butte, our contamination comes from past mining practices. So the goal of Superfund is to make sure that our community is healthy to live in and also that we are not carrying contamination to other areas through environmental aspects. And we want to make sure that our streams and location are healthy for not only humans, but wildlife and fish as well. A lot of the things
0: that people talk about, we talk about butte priority soils, operable unit. We have many different operable units, um, you know, that kind of surround Butte. What is Butte Silver Bow in our department of reclamation? What are we responsible for as we work through those things?
1: We're named as a settling defendant for one operable unit within our community and that's bpsou it is one of four that would be within silver bowl county so we operate the long-term programs one is the residential metals abatement program that is built to remove contaminated soils from people's residential areas and also dust that may have accumulated over time from past mining activities and we currently have a multi-pathway approach as well where we can look at other sources of contamination that may not be related to mining to try to ensure a a holistic cleanup, if you will, of residential properties in our community.
0: The Department of Reclamation really um, works with all of our different departments. You know, we have an impact and work together with uh, Public Works. Um, we work with the health department. And the Department of Reclamation really has many different things that, the, that you deal with. You, you deal with the Breeze site, our MAP program. As you said, you got teams that go out and work in that uh, daily. Can you talk
1: about how the operations work through uh, the Department of Reclamation? Sure, it's it's complex. There's a lot of activities that our programs and within the department do. Uh, you had mentioned breeze sites. Those are the large open space reclamation areas that our department is tasked with making sure that those areas stay in good condition so that the protectiveness of them is always at the best it could possibly be. So we look at things from vegetative growth to make sure that caps, if you will, the reclamation is staying in place and they're not eroding away and that that barrier is always there between the waste and potential exposure to people in the environment. So on that aspect, there's we deal with everything from stormwater to vegetation. I, every now and again, I like to refer to ourselves as kind of glorified farmers or scientific farmers because a lot of the time spent with that is making sure that vegetative growth is efficient enough to hold soils in place. And that gets into counts of vegetation, making sure the right species are there and that the caps are just staying in place and being protective for our community. Underneath the residential metals program, we, again, do a lot of dust removals in people's attics. Uh, anything older than 1982 is eligible for our services. Our services are all free of charge to the general public, so I highly recommend anybody with the household of the 1982 to contact our program, and with the expansion that came to that program through the unilateral administrative order of 2020, now we are almost countywide, that we could do soils work in as well. And I think that's beneficial because there has not been a lot of sampling conducted out of the view Priority Soils Operable Unit. So again, if you're essentially west of the Continental Divide, I would highly recommend that you participate in this program. It does soil removals. We come in and we will sample a property in very distinct areas so that we can define these and do removals as needed to a 12-inch depth. And that again eliminates that exposure pathway and puts a barrier between the residents and any potential contamination that may be deeper. So we also do a lot of stormwater work. So we do co-mingle a lot with Public Works as you had mentioned, JP. So they have a lot of stormwater responsibilities, so do we. So a lot of that is just making sure that the systems are operating the appropriately, that they're not plugged with sediment, that water's going where it's supposed to so that they can enter the basins that we have throughout our community that do the treatment of the storm water so that we are not adding that contaminated water to our local streams.
0: As we talk through this, there's there's so many things that that go on, and I think some of the community gets confused a little bit about different cleanup areas as well. At the last commissioner meeting, we had a an update on the Montana Pole site. And so can you explain why Montana Pole is different than the Bipsu cleanup?
1: it was a different waste stream is the the easiest way to describe it is it wasn't mining contamination. It was from wood treating operations. The wood treat, treated wood was used in the mining operations, but this was to address a completely different waste stream. It was chasing dioxins and pentachlorophenol where like BPSOU is chasing lead, arsenic, and mercury. And that was a cash out site is the best way to describe it. So it's operated completely different than say bpsou it is a state-run facility and they follow all the same guidance and have the same legal documents associated with them but the main difference is the the form of waste that they're trying to address
0: yeah and and so that's that's one of the things some people don't kind of understand how the cleanup comes about who's Overall, um, in charge of that cleanup, that that was a site that DEQ uh, took on, as you said, was a settlement for the state. And DEQ was responsible for that cleanup uh, out of a settlement from um, Atlantic Ridgefield back uh, a ways ago. I don't know the exact date of, the, of that. They took on that responsibility. And so the, what is Butte Silver Bowl going to do with that property? And And you and I have talked to the county commissioners and uh, to say, what, what are we going to do with that? And, and currently, we don't know enough about that site that we're able to say that we would want to have that site to take on as a responsible site for butte I
1: I would agree with that. We need to allow the state of Montana to finalize the remedy and supply us with the construction completion report and a full data set of what the situation is in the after of the reclamation, if you will and when we have a chance to take a look at that then we may be able we just want to be able to make an educated decision going forward or educated recommendation to our council they still have some work to do i think before we can make that decision even if they provide a construction completion report for the work that has been been done to date. I think it is linked through further remedy that they still have to implement outside of the areas that Buttes or Bow has the option of acquiring from them that I feel may have an impact. So I think our best bet would be to let the whole process unfold, review the documentations and make a recommendation at that point. Uh,
0: yeah, that's correct. You know, I've, I've learned a lot in the in the time that I've been chief executive, and just so much to the superfund department, um, what we're looking at and responsible for, and to really be the agent of protect the the community of Butte, and and so you know as we talk about that on on the site down there at Montana Pole. The cleanup level down there is to clean it up to a recreational industrial cleanup. As we look at it, is it something that Butte Silver Bowl would want? Is it something that would benefit the community? We want to make sure that the operations uh, around that are not going to cause um, the taxpayers to have to bear a burden on on making sure that um, we we don't have any further issues. And I know a floodplain and and, uh, other things are are issues down there that need to be vetted out before we ever decide what we're going to do with that site or if we're going to take it from the state.
1: That is correct. There's more aspects to that site outside of the remedial component that may cause us to have some concerns in acquiring that property going forward, especially the floodplain. I mean, we do have a large floodplain over that site that would render a good portion of it unusable. And I think a big part of this is weighing the risk versus the benefit and if i mean that's a hindrance to the benefit if you will on the back side if you can't use it why would we want to acquire it so we need the project to be completed as a whole not only just the remedial components but also some of the other issues associated with it addressed before we make a recommendation going forward
0: a lot of stuff that that's happening down there, and and we're working collectively with the state, paying attention to what's going on down there. And uh, I know that the council of commissioners got an update, and and so we're moving forward. They had some events down there this last year that, um, you know, we had some major storm events that, that showed some vulnerabilities at that site. So we're more to come on on uh, Montana pole. Let, let's go back. There was a big announcement recently, uh, Eric. I think that that everyone is talking a little bit about, and that's. Uh, the lead screening levels being dropped down to 200 that the EPA did. And can you tell us a little bit about what that
1: means? Yes, the EPA has lowered the screening levels to a level of 200. For Butte, it may possibly be 100. And that is utilized to determine what an action level is for an individual site. So then they have a risk-based model that they'll put this input into that will determine what an action level is for our community going forward. We know that it should be a considerable amount lower than what our current action levels are, so it should ultimately end up in a more thorough and complete remedy for our community. It's still a little bit unknown to all of us on what what that looks like and what the action levels will be, so that will kind of determine what the nature and extent of the programs will be going into the future.
0: You know, we know that, that uh, the screen level is going to make it more protective for us. There's always been the, the concern that, that locally our, our action level in, in Butte Silver Bowl was 1,200. Of course, over in Anaconda, it's 400. And so we've always been a- asking the question, you know, why is ours different? And uh, the response has been the bioavailability based on mining as compared to smelting and some of those things that have gone there. The fact that it's gone to 200, it will affect the action level. We just don't know what that action level is going to be, and and as the EPA has put out there, that it can vary from site to site.
1: It probably will vary from site to site. I think where you'll see the continuity from site to site is if you are determined to be a site with multiple exposure sources to any given contaminant, which I believe Butte will be put in that category just due to the age of our housing stock and things like that. In my understanding, I'm not a model expert. We've had these discussions. Is if they do that route, bioavailability is no longer a component that is of concern, if you will, for a lack of a better way to say it. And it would be the most stringent standard across all sites. But that's still to be to be determined by the at the agency level, is if we become a, a multi-source site or if they look at us as a a non-multi-source site, and that would change us from the screening level of 100 back up to 200, and then bioavailability will play a, a minor role going forward. I think a big part, if you don't mind, that we should hit on also is that the biomonitoring aspect that our program implements. I mean, we have a, a blood lead program for our citizens that if they're concerned about, you know, potential exposures that they've had, especially young children, it's more accurate in young children and portrays a, a more accurate picture, if you will, is and it's free of charge for our community as well. And that's located at the health department. That's part of the coordination amongst multiple departments of Butte orbeau that are, make Superfund work. We have to have that coordination. But our, our public should take advantage of that program, and it's also free of charge.
0: Yeah, thanks for uh, mentioning that because I think a lot of people don't Um, You know, we put it out there and we try to be as public uh, as we can on allowing the public to know what is available for them to get tested for and in the services that we have available, whether it's through the RMAP program, the attic program, the yards, things that we do there, but also the screening for the blood lead. You know, there's a lot of things that we're doing to protect the citizens of Butte and working together with the different agencies. Can you talk about the agencies that we do work with. I mean, I don't know that everybody understands the difference between the different agencies, whether they're government agencies or also the other settling defendants.
1: As i had mentioned earlier, Butte Silver is a settling defendant along with Atlantic Richfield Company. Atlantic Richfield Company is the primary settling defendant for the site, which is known as Butte Priority Soils Operable Unit and co-settling defendants in Butte Mine Flooding. But then, The overarching agency that ensures compliance and regulatory aspects is the Environmental Protection Agency. And they do all of that work, their work in coordination and consultation with the Montana Department of Environmental Quality. So we essentially have two regulating agencies ensuring that the remedy is being implemented according to law and effective in protecting human health and the environment.
0: One of the things that... um Eric and I have talked about since I've been sitting in the seat. Is there's a lot of alphabet soup in Superfund, and we talked DQ EPA NRD. We had a cleanup at the at the Parrot site. That was a remedy. The state agency of NRD, which is a restoration program, generally that worked together to to get that cleanup. Can you talk a little bit about remedy versus restoration?
1: What, what's the difference between the two? Remedy is in place to render a place or a site safe for human occupancy and health of the environment. Restoration is, true intention is to replace a lost resource. They look at what the impacts may have caused our community to lose. A good example of that is their contaminated aquifers and Butte's inability to use groundwater for their potable water system. So they jumped in and helped us with things such as the Basin Creek Water Treatment Plant, the conveyance of water from the Big Hole to Butte. That is a replacement of a lost resource. The Parrot was a little gray. I don't like to use the term gray right (laughs) now, but it was a remedial component that the Environmental Protection Agency deemed unnecessary as part of the remedy going forward, but the NRD program felt that it was impacting some of those potential lost resources, such as the aquifers, and that by doing the removal that they implemented, that resource may become usable again in a much shorter time frame than if the wastes were left in place. So that one's a little bit out of the normal realm of the restoration program, but I think that's the easiest way I can justify that was they, it will ultimately help with the aquifer situation so you can put it underneath the restoration bucket because it's hopeful that you're replacing or repairing the lost resource.
0: We saw the ability to NRD to lead that project and it was a successful cleanup behind the Civic Center and, and uh, bringing resources together and, and uh, moving that forward but there, there's a lot of different things that were remedy and restoration come together and work together and, and that's the way the program should work is is when a, a site is remediated, restoration can come in and help uh, restore the site, you know, as the as the name goes. Um, but it, the, those are programs that you work in coordination together as, as there's cleanup throughout the whole Clark Fork w- watershed. We just happen to be at the headwaters of it due to the mining activities that have happened here in, in Butte Silver Bow. And we see all of those programs as we move forward. Eric, can you kind of talk about some of the challenges that you... You know we face locally to assure the public that we're getting the proper cleanup here, but what are the challenges for the department working every single day?
1: I think one of the challenges that we face is this is a very complex site, and when I say this site is complex, it's BPSOU. The vast majority of Superfund sites across the nation, they don't encompass a whole urban area or a whole city like our site does here, so you have the intricacies of trying to implement large scale remedy, if you will, and not impact people's daily lives. And you have the other aspect of you're implementing remedy in a more intimate fashion, if you will, in regards to working in people's homes and their, you know, their, their own personal properties, Uh, you know, that's not typical to a lot of Superfund sites. I mean, there are other sites that are very similar. And you have, as you had mentioned earlier, the multiple OUs and the different agencies overseeing this, it's it's convoluted and complex, but I think the biomonitoring that we implement here is a reassurance that remedy has been effective to this date. Early on in the 90s, you know, we had a prevalency of about 11% of our children you know, had high blood lead levels, and that was a blood lead level of 10, which has since been than two five and now being contemplated at a three and a half through our biomonitoring programs we have shown that we are even keeled with uh, other communities throughout the nation that aren't superfund sites beyond that i think you would look at the health of the stream i mean the, the concentrations of metals that are in blacktail creek and silver bow creek are considerably lower today than they were when before remedy was implemented and gradually tick lower and lower each and every year as more and more projects are implemented. And the the new lead policy will just add to that going forward with lower action levels and a little bit more stringent cleanup will add to the effectiveness of Superfund in our community.
0: Butte Silver Bowl being highly involved and very vocal and with our concerns about the lead levels and and what that is, I I think that, you know, this was a national level that, on the screen level that was lowered butte had an impact on that um you know what what we're dealing with locally here with the the large cleanup largest superfund site throughout the clark fork area i think that you know we have we have a voice on what's you know the the national scene when that happens i want to kind of touch back on you know superfund is has been ongoing for many years um we see the actual uh remedy and restoration uh, in a lot of areas. And, you know, I grew up here, I know, in the early, well, late 70s, early uh, 80s. And I can say that, you know, from when I grew up here, there's a vast difference between what lo- what it looks like up on the hill to what it looks like today. Can you talk about, you know, some of the things that have been cleaned up already that we have restored? And you talk about the breeze sites and stuff like that, but just touch on the sites that really have already been restored. And, and, you know, as we're moving forward, because one of the narratives out there is nothing's being done. And, uh, we know that's, that's not true. There's all kinds of activity all the time, but let's touch on some of the things that have been done.
1: Okay. Well, um, you had mentioned bree sites again, and we have over 600 acres of reclaimed land that falls into that category. That was typically waste dumps, tailings that were exposed and accessible to our general public. I mean, I grew up here as well, and you probably remember playing on these things. They were unregulated and you could kind of build a fort, do what you wanted on them, and nobody really said anything. They Those have now been capped and that exposure pathway has been eliminated. And, you know, we've did hundreds and hundreds of yards and attics that have also kind of moved that needle as well. A big one, and it's kind of relatively fresh, is the new parks, schools, and playgrounds aspect that has been implemented through the consent decree process. So we were able to look at those areas with a little bit through a little bit more stringent lens of treating them as a residential. You had mentioned this before with the Montana poll, we have various action levels depending on land usage. And the most stringent action level for a site is the residential. And we were able to look at the parks, schools, and playgrounds through and daycares. We should throw those in there as well as strictly as residentials. And that caused more remedy to be implemented than probably would have been what we know than would have been if they were looked at underneath the, the guise of recreation or industrial or another action level besides residential. And we have numerous stormwater controls in place that have been in place for quite some time. And that's what's moved the needle in regards to concentrations in our local streams with more to come through the Silver Bowl Creek corridor Projects, those are, you know, the main Superfund aspect of those is the treatment of stormwater from the Butte Hill. But we have five HDs that remove contamination through our stormwater system. We have nine catch basins now that I'm not sure people are 100% aware of that have been in existence. For the time frame I've been here, and I've been working on it for 25 years, so they've been there for that long. The HDs are a little bit younger, if you will. They're in the early 2010, 2010 time frame. And Eric, can but, you tell us what HDs oh, are? Oh, sorry. There's the word soup again. Yeah. Um, they're hydrodynamic devices, which are essentially a very large cyclone system that spins our storm water through it and shoots the sediments that could be possibly contaminated into a catchment area that our crews Routinely go in and remove those sediments out to make more room for the next slug of water coming through. And that's part of our long-term operations and maintenance. You had kind of touched on, you know, Superfund's been here for a long time. And I think an important aspect of this is Superfund in some way, shape or form will be in our community forever. And it's mainly when we get into assuring that the remedies that were implemented remain effective and in place in perpetuity. So and that falls to the programs within the Department of Reclamation and Environmental Services. It goes back to our breeze evaluations to ensure caps are in place. All of the stormwater controls have routine operation and maintenance components of it. At the catch basins we have sediment removals out of them so they always have volume for again the next storm. And that that can't end. That will that'll be a component in our community in in the forever.
0: There's so many incredible things that have gone on through Superfund and, and continue to be. And one of the things that we talked about, you know, uh, there's a lot of talk about repository and, and where we're, we're going to look to put a repository for the Bipsu, uh construction project and and, and how that, that will look. But uh, I don't know if a lot of people realize that we have an active repository that um, Superfund operates out of every single day. Can you kind of talk about where that's at and and, uh, and what the function of that repository is? Uh,
1: the existing mine waste repository is located just east of the Granite Mountain Memorial. And it has been in operation again for as long as I have been working on this project. Um, and I'd say for probably about 30 years in total, that one has been. And what, what goes on there is that's where we dispose of the waste. And in the long run, it'll end up capped and protective, just like it was a waste dump, per se. And our residential metals program uses it every day. Our Breeze O&M uses it every day. It's where we put our contaminated soil, I mean, sediments that come out of the stormwater systems are disposed of at this facility. And it has been, it's like you had mentioned, it's a daily activity, five days a week. Not only is it the Superfund programs, but as ARs implementing schools, parks, and playground work that that those wastes are going there. and we have an ordinance in town that is to help us control contaminated soils that somebody may expose through development or just a, a you know a typical excavation project. Those materials need to go there as well. And that's known as the Dirt Moving and Excavation Ordinance. So we'll have to have a repository operating here in the forever as well, because with a waste in place remedy, you always have that chance where you'll open something up and run into contamination that will need to be reposed somewhere. And so, but the good point is we're in and out of there every day. I mean, every day, multiple parties are in and out of it. And, uh, so the function of it is to make it sure that it's residing in a safe place that everybody will know where it's at forever. And essentially it'll be, when it hits capacity will be capped off and, we have options as to what that area can be post usage,
0: right? So you know, after a repository is capped, and um, you, you see things that can happen, you can you can uh, open those up for recreational once they're capped. Um, a, a good um, indication of that is Copper Mountain Park. Exactly. Um, you know that, that was a repository that was um, capped and then and made protective and that you know you can have a you know baseball fields and softball fields and and uh recreation areas up uh at, at those areas um and one one of the things that we talked about um throughout the the um uh, conversation here is AR went back and, and remediated some of the local parks here and that was under an agreement that they would go to um local um residential standards where before they were at a recreation standard, they came with that agreement. And so there was some community concern why they would go back into and after we just put a brand new park in there. Why weren't we, why didn't we do it that way the
1: first time? We went back and went to a different standard. So can you explain that? The parks were investigated early on in the Superfund process, but as you had mentioned, they were they were looked at as a recreational facility that has a much higher action level. The action level for lead, in our community and our recreational areas, 2300. So they didn't have any exceedances of that particular action level of 2300. But when the agreement in the unilateral administrative order was put in place and they looked at it through the residential lens, they, f- lens, they found this area that these areas that were lower than 2300 but greater than 1200. And in regards to staden Park, it was a timing issue more than anything. That agreement and the change in Action levels didn't occur until after the work was already implemented on the enhancements of Stodden Park. So a lot of it was just unfortunate timing, but we ended up with a, a more extensive cleanup due to that change in action levels as well.
0: I think that's important for people to know that the, the cleanup in the parks is more protective. It's better for the, the local community. Added amenities to our parks, we have, a lot of our parks have new equipment, Staden Park, although relatively uh, new, had some wear and tear to it as well. And so Atlantic Ridgefield, as they went in and had to remediate, they also came back in and, and fixed the equipment and put new equipment in and, and did the things that, that needed to be done in there on the areas that they impacted. So there was, a, there was somewhat of a benefit to this as well. Number one benefit is that it was protective of, of human health and that it was more protective of human health. And so th- those are things that people, I think, we really want to know. These are, these are the cleanup things and the um, programs that our local Department of Reclamation Environmental Services is a part of every single day, um, working on the protectiveness of our community.
1: Absolutely. We are working every day on that aspect and uh, ensuring that the remedies that were put in place are remain protective in the long run, too.
0: Well, well, Eric, you know, I think the last thing that we'll close on. I can't. We talked about our, our uh, current repository, but you know, the the repository and where we we see the Bibsu repository going, and we haven't finalized that yet. And and some of that has to do with uh, finding location. We've narrowed it down to have it in an area that had once active mining, or is uh, has not been reclaimed for active mining, or uh, as w- more conversation has gone on about the use of the Berkeley Pit as a, as a possible repository. What are the challenges now and what, what needs to be done if you know we are to locate a repository or if they choose the, the Berkeley Pit as a repository? What, what are the steps that are going to happen here?
1: Well, first would be to change the governing documents, if you will, to allow additional sites to be considered. Um, The Record of Decision had a very finite number of sites that were listed for potential repository sites. So leaving that, it's more of an administrative hurdle, if you will, on locating a new repository. Then you have to get into the protectiveness aspect and not only the protectiveness of human health, but you have to worry about groundwater. You have to worry about surface water. You have to work, you know, all of that comes into play. Capacity is another large issue with there, you want to ensure that your repositories can take the waste that you need to repose. It's a, a necessary evil, if you will, in regards to superfund cleanup is you have to have somewhere to put the materials that you're removing from more common areas of the community. But the big ones right now are administratively, and then you have the scientific components. You had mentioned the Berkeley pit, they, you know, we want to make sure that we're not going to have an adverse impact on another area of remedy underneath the Butte mine flooding which is the treatment of the Berkeley water. We want to make sure that we're, by putting additional wastes in that, that we're not hindering that remedy as well and actually taking a step backwards. So that's checking the chemistry of the water, checking the chemistries of the soil and make to sure the two mesh and will work well with each other without impacting, like I said, the ability to treat Berkeley water with the remedy that's been implemented and discharge the, that water into a stream. So it's, it's, it's complicated and, the big things right now are the scientific aspect, like I said, making sure things actually are compatible and will work, but you have the administrative aspect as well. is We didn't forecast every potential spot that could be a repository, and now we have to just add those to the governing documents to make legal record of those decisions. And we have implemented the repository siding committee with numerous members of the general public to help guide us through this process as well.
0: Yeah, I, I think that you know this process is... is working, um, I know that we had some conversations about the repository could possibly be located up below where our current repository is, up off of the Centerville neighborhood and, and uh, uh, above Dublin Gulch and, and in that area there, it brought a lot of public conversation. And um, and that that's what this is all about is, you know, locating sites, finding an area that's going to go, then get the information out to the public, their conversations, their opinions about what what they um, see as challenges to it, and then move forward. And so we take all of that public input, and then we we help that drive the conversation where we're going to go. But ultimately, this waste has to go somewhere. We live in a a superfund area, a large superfund area, and one of the major cleanups is right in the middle of town. And so our community is going to be impacted. No matter how we do this, we're going to have some disruption within our community. But the The ultimate goal is to have something that that's protective for human health and the environment and then something that really adds value to our community and eric i want to as we conclude here i'll give you less to say and kind of how people can contact you and and the department of reclamation but i want to thank your team because i know the work that you guys do every day and sometimes there's a narrative out there that we're not doing enough and I can tell you that I I haven't worked with more passionate people about the work that they do, how they they know it impacts the community and the passion that people have in the community, and they take it very personal. and And so I just want to thank you and your team. I think maybe that that's the one of the last things to before your last words kind of call out um, some of the, your leadership in your in your team and what they do.
1: The department has grown over the years. It's and will only continue to grow. We have. Various project managers in place pending on. So, we sampling is a major component. So, I'd like to give a shout out to Abby Peltima. She is our data manager and coordinator of that aspect. Chad Anderson oversees the daily activities of the residential metals program. So, he implements the yards and attics remediation projects that are going with various help underneath him as well. So, we're and Brandon Warner is. Kind of our catch-all, if you will. He does a lot of work in regards to storm water, breeze. He helps with the RMAP samplers and a crew of eleven that actually implements this work. So we're a department of about twenty people in total, with some fringe aspects that we help with funding at the health department for the blood lead program and sanitarians to help us with some of the water issues and. But a shout out to those guys, they work hard every day. And one thing that I'd like to remind everybody in regards to Superfund here is Butte Silver Bow has always operated underneath the guise of we need to make sure that this is ultimately safe environment for our residents to live in. It needs to be safe for the environment. And it has to provide for a good and land use for our community as well. A big aspect of Superfund is kind of to gate and lock people out and we have fought hard to make sure that that wasn't implemented here so our community wasn't dissected that a major component of this is you need to to render this in a usable fashion so it's not a hindrance to the community's growth going forward
0: yeah eric well once again i want to thank you um the last word on this i i know that uh one of the things that uh superfund has always um, been a part of is that the cleanup is not the responsibility of the local taxpayers as we move forward here. And and so um, we do everything we can to make sure that whatever's implemented, whatever we, we do, that that responsibility falls on the other responsible party, which is Atlantic Ridgefield. So we need to work collectively with them as we move forward. But Butte Silver Bowl will always be here.
1: Yes, that is correct. All right. And it is not, not funded through taxpayers. That's the main thing.
0: So now we'll just give them contact information for the Department of Reclamation. and
1: uh, We just recently went through a move at the Department of Reclamation. So we're now located at what was the old Butte Armory, and it is now the Butte Readiness Center. It is at 600 West Gilman, and our general office number is 497-5040. So reach out. We don't have a general email, but anybody can be reached through me, which would be E Hassler, H A S S L E R, at bsb.mt.gov. And if you know the person's name you're looking to contact, it's just their first initial and their last name at bsb.mt.gov. Thanks again, Eric. Thank Um, you, JP. I really appreciate all the work that you do.